0: Design Podcast brought to you by VMware Design. I'm Laurel Viers, and I'm here with my host as always, Tushar Roy. And we have Sarah Plattenberg with us today. She is a senior staff product designer for the cloud management part of VMware. And we have a very exciting topic about sense and response of culture. So welcome, Sarah. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Hi,
1: thank you. Thank you, Laurel and Tushar. It's really great to be here. I'm very excited for this topic. Um, I am a designer. I've been designing for about 20, all coming up on 25 years. I uh, started in startups in Silicon Valley. Back in the day, the first round of startups before starting startups became a thing that people do. Um, so in the in the late 90s, I've worked for small companies. I've worked for very large companies. I worked for IBM for 16 years in multiple capacities as a designer, manager of design teams. Integrating software and then developed with my colleague at the time, Rachel Reinitz, a consulting organization within IBM, a lean design development consulting organization to really help customers, uh, enterprises in particular, understand cloud, what it meant for them, and how to work with it, which is really where a lot of the book comes from. Uh, just my experience as a consultant. My experience, I would say working in, as a designer in all of those capacities, but I realized it was something that should come out into the world when I worked with uh, enterprises, helping them, you know, adopt cloud and do their digital transformation. So that's hopefully a little bit
0: about me. You mentioned the book. Oh, yes. Can talk about <laughs> <Yeah>. the book.
1: <laughs> I spent a lot of time. So I think everybody knows this. <laughs> But no, um, I'm, I've just finished writing a book called A Culture for Outcomes, and I'm. it's in the process of being published. So that should be coming out at some point. But that's really the, the driver of, a, of what I wanted to talk about today is why we need to sense and respond
2: to culture. You know, I, I found this topic so interesting and different from what we usually do, which is more technical design or juniors uh, who's starting in this industry, but this one is so different. So for the first time, we're talking about something which is not directly related to design, maybe, but we're talking about cultures and outcomes. And so the book is, of course, what was one of the reasons, and we were aware of it, but now it makes sense, you know, 25 years from startups to large enterprises, hands-on design to managing large teams. I'm sure you have so much to share with the world, right? Let's start with this one question, Sarah. What is culture?
1: My definition, I'm giving you mine. You can find many definitions of culture out on the interweb. Um, And it really, the the definition that people find really depends on whether you're looking at it from a business point of view or an anthropological point of view. There are a lot of ways to look at culture. Um, For me, culture is the evidence of what is valued in an organization and the belief systems that are valued in an organization.
0: What are some misconceptions of what culture is? Because um, people can interpret it differently. Yeah, I think people. I
1: I would say the biggest misconception is that culture starts on the outside. That um, that if we have a physical space, that um, that looks a certain way, or we have certain objects, or we play games, or bring in food. You know, those are some of the big ones that that when I worked in San Francisco, you know, people were, when, when we would hire people into our organization, our lean consultancy, they were looking for those things. Um, and so we got those things. But those things represented values. And we learned that we had to value what those things meant. They mean we take breaks and we have time together, we have meals together. You know, so it's really it starts from the inside out. What are the things that we value and how do we build an organization that um, that brings those things to life?
2: You know, I always thought that everything that people do, whether it's at work or at home, is because we are thinking and we are feeling in a certain way. And so somehow those values come up, right, no matter how subtle a thing or a large thing that you're doing. When people come from all sorts of areas, like think of Bay Area as an example, right? The melting pot of cultures, as they say. So many people coming in and, again, startups to large organizations. So they may do so many different things. How is it even possible to make sense of what that culture turns out to be? And then I know you're going to talk about intentional. How does this even, I mean, how do you even start to think about trying to make sense of this. So.
1: Um, I'm going to answer that question <clears throat> with the word that you used, intentional. Businesses, uh, and I'm talking specifically culture for a business, um, not the culture of my family, for example, or the culture of my neighborhood or my friend group. Um, but businesses are trying to accomplish several things out in the world. The first one, and I'm going to say this um, from a place of hope, <laughs> and I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek because I think that we're all, all businesses are balancing doing the right thing for the customer with making money, and I was just reading some really interesting stuff in Harvard Business Review about the balance between making money and managing costs and investing for the future in and in an economy like this one, which has been weirdly stable but unstable at the same time, It's unclear about, you know, where businesses need to invest. But getting back on track, um, a business needs to understand and be clear on the outcomes it's trying to have. One of those is going to be making money, but hopefully they're making money in a way that is in line with the business's vision and intention. And that would be making money by delivering great results to customers. So if that's the outcome, then... What what needs to be valued within the company in order to make that outcome happen? That's where I begin defining culture. And I don't think that you hire people and then define the culture that they want to be in. You say, this is the business that we're in. And this is the kind of cult. These are the things that need to be valued in order for this business to be successful. Does your personal culture align with that or not? You know, and and how do we as an as an organization define what what our um, like be explicit outwardly explicit about what our culture is so that everybody can come in and engage in the in the um, the behavioral norms. So I started with my answer about what culture was by saying it's the evidence of what's valued and believed in an organization that expresses itself through cultural norms. Through things that people will say in meetings, the things that they choose not to say, which is a, which is really important as leaders, we have to know what people are not saying um, because that's important. Maybe there are things that should be said by meetings that people go to and the ones that they don't go to, and like all of the, the behavioral norms, um, people need to understand what those are and be able to sense those and make right judgments so that they can independently be delivering on the business's outcomes. So,
2: so that's interesting, Sarah. I always thought that people bring culture with them. And so you hire the right kind of people and we always said, oh, skills can be taught. We need the right attitude, and do they fit our culture? And in fact, we used to have this one um, round of uh, interviews called Culture Fit. And But you, what you're saying is that culture is intentionally should be or is brought top down Based on business values, is that something that you've seen before or is that is that a radical change that you're proposing?
1: Um, I want to make a couple adjustments. I understand how what I said might have been interpreted as top down, but it's not top down it's business outcomes. And so the the um, the outcome might be determined by leadership. But how the the values needed to achieve that, I think are determined by everybody doing the work. So, as a designer, I can tell you what I value. Product management's going to value other things because they have a different job. So it is it's a combination of both of those things coming together. And I think just the last thing that I'll add into that is you said that you that um, during hiring, defining a fit for our culture, there is a culture that people fit into. And I think that that's developed in combination with leadership, articulating a vision, and then the people who do the work saying what they need valued in order to deliver on that.
0: Maybe we can walk through an example. Like, do you have like a very simple example that would help one of our listeners like kind of follow through with what that actually looks like in the workspace?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'll give the example. A very practical one, enterprises shifting from Waterfall to Agile, and that comes with many, many changes, which I won't, I won't go into all of the details. I'm going to talk at a very high level here. Um, in a Waterfall organization, and I'm guessing that many of our listeners have not worked in one, <laughs> so I am going to take um, maybe 20, 30 seconds to describe that when I started my career in, in a very large company, 380,000 people company, um, they were waterfall and any small, and this is back in, you know, 2003, 2004, a small error rippled through a large organization like that. And something small could end up costing a lot of money by the time a product went out the door because of how large the processes were and how big the teams were. Um, so what was valued was making sure we had crossed every T and dotted every I and had gone through specifications in detail from every possible angle. So as a designer, I would write, I would spend six or eight months writing 200 page specifications for everything that we could possibly imagine. And they would be reviewed by architects and developers, et cetera, go on and on. It could go on and on. And then the same thing happened with the wireframes. And then it happened <laughs> with the high fidelity designs. So a very laborious process because we valued correctness and we valued, um, getting through the process without having to repeat anything. We didn't value necessarily the experience on the, that, that the customer had as much as we valued keeping our costs down and making sure that we were all working from singing from the same hymnal, so to speak, um, and what I the, the work that I did and all of those, the, we've called them formally inspections. Those were done at every level with architecture, with development. It, that's why it took a year or more to get a product out the door. In Agile, we value the experience of the user first and foremost. We've actually, I would say first and foremost, we value delivering value. And we that shifted the way that people work so that we could change directions quickly. So now we value speed. We value accuracy as well, but we're ready to make a change quickly when we're not right. So we want to get out the door quickly. All of those principles about about agile development are the opposite of what they used to be. So we have to value different things to get those outcomes. And from that, we had to develop a different culture. And so that's a lot of the work that I did within the enterprise consulting organization was teaching leadership to value something different to let go of what they used to value and what to replace it with because you're not you're you're replacing the previous culture with a completely new culture that values different things and it's not until those values are embodied and people understand what that means that they can actually sustain that culture does does that make sense was that a a good enough example oh yeah yeah
2: Absolutely. Okay. In, in fact, um, when I remember you know many years ago, when our company moved from waterfall to agile, we thought that, oh, they just wanted stuff done quicker and they wanted to make us work more. And we didn't like it at all. But now, many years later, and when you say this, Sarah, it sounds so um, novel, that we were trying to deliver value. That's the change in value as from, from moving from correctness, to delivering value quicker and and then iterate on that right so the question how do you do do you think it's important to let your people know why what what are the values and why it's important for us and and if so how do they do it how explicitly
1: oh a 100% in fact that's why i wrote a book was i don't think people are aware that everything they do and don't do communicates value. And people struggle when they're when they work in an organization that is not aligned with their deepest, most important values. In fact, they just had a meeting this morning with somebody where I said, I cannot work against my conscience. And they were surprised to hear that the issue we were discussing actually tapped into my conscience. And I'm like, wow, I don't, why is this an issue of conscience with you? And I explained it and they were like, oh okay, I understand. Um, but so we want to be really explicit about culture so that people can align themselves. And very often, I mean, I don't know anybody who ever, I've never seen anybody value something that I thought was, you know, weird or bad or <laughs> harmful. But harmful things happen when we're not explicit about culture because people are guessing. Um, yeah. So, yeah.
0: I was going to say, and so often, like especially when you're new in your career, you don't know what you value yet because you haven't experienced it. Even me, I'm like 10 years in and I feel like I'm still learning because I've only been with a handful of companies. So I've only experienced what the culture is in those companies and of course my own values, which I'm just starting to be able to define as a human being, right? (laughs) Yeah. There's a book called Faster, Farther, and
1: Far Less Drama and it's written by Janice Frazier and Jason Fraser. And um, uh, Jason Frazier actually works at Pivotal. So you might want to interview him about his book. And and his uh, his wife, Janice, used to work at Pivotal. They're powerhouses. They're amazing. But anyway, I bring them up because in their book, they said something that I thought was just like one of those aha moments we all know, but nobody said. Mm-hmm. Um, they talked about work-life balance. <laughs> and the book says, for you, it's not work-life balance. It's your life. It's your life. And, um, and I I circled it and put a bunch of exclamation marks around it. I'm 52. How did I not see that? That that was such a source of internal, um, cognitive dissonance that I felt I had to, and, and this was all kind of unconscious, but when I read that, my book and their book like had this synergistic moment and, um, that I have very strong values just as a person from, based on my own life, I have very strong values. And so I work in places where I can be who I am truly. And that's because it is my life. It's all my life. And so I think when we create those spaces, people know what they're getting into. They want to contribute to the culture. They might have something to add to the culture that would help people reach outcomes even faster. or with less friction. In the book, I talk a lot about you know three friction points that happen when we're not intentional about culture. Um, when people can align those things, we go we we can go really fast. I think it's kind of like bringing the right tools and technology to play, at, at you know um, aiming those at the right problem. Only these are the things that inspire the talent within an organization to engage in powerful ways. It, I, I think it just, it opens up the door for energy to come like funneling through the organization in ways that it couldn't perform when people didn't understand the rules of the game, so to speak.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So let's, let's talk a little bit about what happens when culture, so we talked about business outcomes and, and culture and their relationship a little bit. If you want to elaborate on that more, you can, um, but let's talk a little bit about the, what happens when the outcomes are misaligned and, and what happens when they are aligned.
1: Sure. Yeah. When when outcomes and culture are misaligned, we get friction. We can think of it as I don't know if, if either of you or any of our listeners probably have not seen um, a Monty Python skit that was a, a race for for people with no direction. Did you see that? It was like a, I, I think exactly. so, I've watched
0: all of Monty Python.
1: <laughs> Every single thing they've made. Well, imagine a bunch of people at a starting line, um, and they're going to run a sprint. And somebody shoots, you know, that cap gun and they all just run off in different directions. <laughs> They're good. Yes. So that's an extreme. It's an example. I mean, I don't think we're, we're actually operating that way. But when culture and, and outcomes are misaligned, there are different kinds of friction introduced into the system. And when I say system, I mean the system of human beings that are working and making decisions. Everything is, it all comes down to people. If, the, if all the people walked out of the company, the company would cease to run. At a certain point, it would stop running. Now, Jet, chat GPT <laughs> might change that. But um, if the technology all went away, people would build it again. You know, so the, really the creative energy comes out of people. Um, and so when people are misaligned, they're, they're, you can think of it as like their talent is sort of leaking out. Energy is leaking out of the system, is being spent on trying to manage friction, whether it's cognitive friction between two people who are trying to get something done and they're not quite speaking the same language, to psychological friction that's happening within a person because they are being asked to do something that they don't agree with or in a way that they don't agree uh, with. Or, um, or there's cultural friction, which is... Uh, probably should rename that, <laughs> but which is where you have two different cultures trying to achieve an outcome and they're they're pushing against each other or causing friction within the system specifically. And when that happens, just productivity slows down. The outcomes aren't achieved very well. Energy is leaking out of the system. And sometimes um, I think companies or organiz- I'll say organizations because I think culture is really an organizational thing can waste a lot of money and talent and energy. Um, and they don't realize how much is, is leaking out of their system or being spent on managing friction. And so you, you can think of it, I think my last metaphor is just like walking away from a table with a bunch of money on it. Like you wouldn't do that. <laughs> you know, you really want to get the most out of the talent.
0: I can imagine being very difficult, though, because there's so many factors, right? And there's not there's broader organizational cultural stuff, but then there's like these micro versions of it, too. So it can be, you know, whether it's two people on the same team having a different definition of what they value or a design team versus like, I don't know, an engineering team or even scaling up an org versus another org or an acquisition happens. And now this new culture from that acquisition came in. It just seems like almost overwhelming to even try to see if you can control it at any sense. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there, I had. I, <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I think what you're saying is there are always boundaries where culture is going to clash. There's always going to be, um, inefficiencies in the cultural system, so to speak, because there are cult- all the organizations have different cultures, even within organizations, you can have different cultures. Um, My organization that I work in right now has different cultures that are that are based on geography, like where people live, and then the culture of a design team, and then the culture of the people running the different product areas within the within, you know, the organizations that they work in, because many of them came from acquisitions. So your point is correct. And I think the what we want to do is um, that that's why I like to define culture based on outcomes because everybody should be working towards something that transcends who they are and, and, and they're there for a reason. And I think, you know, that's why it's important to be explicit about it because if if, as a human being, you can't get on board with the culture, then you're probably not work. You're not the right fit or that culture isn't the right fit for where you want to go. Um, so let's, but I do want to address those intersections really quickly. Like, like if, if you define if everyone in an organization says like, actually, let me start again. The book has a workshop, companion workshop, like activity book that walks people, organizations through. Like if you've never actually intentionally defined your culture and it's time to do that now so you can get a sense of it, like what should it be? You can go through that workbook and do that work and you will always see like, oh, okay, well now design bumps up against product management here because their culture is different. That will happen because they value different things. They value different things because they do a different job. So we cannot ever optimize culture perfectly. We That's that's why the touch point and the goal is the outcome, not the culture. And so there will be a place with the adjacent teams where we can talk about That transcendent outcome, we're all trying to bring value to the customer as a very generic example. So when I say, you know, I run a retro every week, I can't live without my retros because I don't know where I am without my retros. Um, And I don't know where the team is. That's how I ran my organization in IBM. We retroed every week. Um, People here don't want a retro every week. Okay, but you know, at some point we have to make sure that we're delivering value for the customer. So how are we gonna do that? What's that culture that we're gonna create where you get what you need and I get what I need and we can all make sure that we're reaching towards that transcendent outcome.
2: So this book is uh, targeted to organizations or leaders to uh, review and better articulate their culture. Is, is that what it is?
1: I wrote it so that anyone at any level can start acting.
2: I remember when I joined my first company, it was almost like it was beggars don't, you know, can't be choosers, right? We would pick up the company, which was the biggest brand who gives me a job and I would jump into it and only to realize with time that, hey, it's probably not matching up to my values. And that too, even the fact that their call values came with time i don't remember in 20s if i knew what really values meant right so looking back i can look at all those 8 10 companies and say okay that matched and that didn't so i'm wondering for especially for our uh, audiences who might be you know getting into the design industry uh, fresh what can we do to and i know there are these um, new uh, tools where you can go find your values what are your personal values and then companies also probably add it to their JDs and all that. But when you sense a misalignment, what can you do about it? So, so, talk to us about what you were saying. That can anybody at any level use the strategies that you're sharing in a book, and how? Absolutely. Um, I I wrote it for. I try to
1: approach it so that anyone um, in an organization can start taking action. But ultimately, culture is really a leadership responsibility. But because leaders are leaders of their organizations, they don't feel the same culture as the team. So it's incumbent upon the team (laughs) to let the leadership know that there's something wrong with the culture. And that's tricky, especially if you don't have a great culture. (laughs) Um, So. But I think I love your question because I wished that I would have had something like this when I was in my twenties. I, I just, man, just to be able to, to, to put shape and words to those things that I felt deep inside when I felt conflict and I thought, oh, well, it must be me. I just am an imposter or whatever. I gave myself a lot of labels, but you know, to answer your question, the first thing that I would ask people to do, or that I would suggest people do if they're starting to feel in conflict, um, is to ask themselves what makes them jump out of bed in the morning and dive into something. Like, when do you wake up waiting to engage? And just write it all down, free form, however you need to, and then do the same with what makes you pull the covers over your head. And that'll usually be the first indication that'll start putting some words around what you value.
0: I have to add to that because that's, that's, I think I've always struggled because there's these lists out there you can Google and I've done workshops where it's like, these are all the, here's some, you know, one word values. And, you know, you go through the list and you kind of circle the ones that resonate. But where it really clicked for me was, uh, what pisses me off. <laughs> so I, I've, you know, I found that if I, and I'm not saying this is the only way to do it, but, um, <laughs> getting, getting my values really sorted out and getting like me rolling through it all. And only in the past like year or two, honestly, of, of doing this, it was like, what's been really like frustrating to me and why is it frustrating? And also like, just, you know, it might be frustrating to me. It's not frustrating to other people. And I think I've, I've recognized over the past year or two of managing, honestly, that, um, oh, like not everyone has the same values of uh, communication, which to me seems like a no brainer. Like, oh, we should all be like communicating as clearly as we can. Uh, but someone else might have a conflicting value to that. Or it's like, like I said, like a micro value of communication, communication is kind of a broad topic, but there's, qualities of communication that are slightly different and i communicate one way which is usually over communication especially in a virtual world and others don't it doesn't mean that they're wrong or i'm right or anything like that it's just that we have different perspectives on it and the more you're able to articulate what those are the more you can find it in a job or working with someone and work past those things if you need or make sure you're working in the right place um, or helping shift the culture to what you need it to be i suppose
1: yeah and I um you said something interesting you know the the what pisses you off remark I like to do both sides of things you know um <clears throat> because that gets me the crisp edge where's the edge you know so what do i love what what gives me the opposite and so i do, i like to do a lot of contrarian thinking not to be negative but but to find that sharp edge and i learned that actually um from pivotal when they came and uh, Jason Frazier did an inception for us when I worked at IBM. And he said, you know, what are you doing? What are you not doing? And there's a level of clarity. It pulls, what it does is it pulls out assumptions. And so I think it's really important to do that work. And the way that I do it, the way I spell it out in the book is first you define success. What, and that's why we start with the business outcome. What's the business outcome? And what does that mean for you and your customers? So now we know what our goal is and what we're all here to do. We're not here to create culture because then we just hang out and play ping pong and do whatever, and we're not going to get any work done. Um, I wouldn't because <laughs> I love people. That's where I'd spend all my time. Um, and, and once we know what that, that is, then we say, what does it look like to come to work? What does it feel like to come to work? What do we see? What do we hear? What do we not see? What do we not hear? And I, I do all of that work specifically because I don't think the single word values can be pulled out of thin air. They've got to describe something that we know and that we can feel and that we expect. And those are not word, like one words. Those are like, um, you know, I expect collaboration. I expect documentation. I expect, um, over, I'm an over communicator too, because it's the only way I know how to make sure that everybody gets the right thing. I expect a certain level of organization, whatever. I could go on and on, but these things, what they value are, um, alignment. Um, I can, well, I'll stop there, but, um, but you know, we start with the vision as ask people to make it clear and people, individuals can do that by themselves. You know, you can do that if you're listening to this podcast and, Your own personal values are a little fuzzy to you. You hadn't really thought about what they meant. Um, You can do that exercise about for the next, like in three years, where do you want to be? I'd pick a little bit of a future self. So you're going towards something Um, and then define what it looks like to get up and go to work. Who, you know, what kinds of people are you working with? Are you working with people at all? (laughs) Some people like to be solo, you know, uh, like you can do these exercises by yourself, and then go find organizations that align. But there will always be misalignment, and so it's it's good to do this work, and then maybe bring some people with you, get a sense of what you'd like. Um, the at the very end, once you've gone through the whole process, you you define what needs to be measured, in order to keep you on track. And I find that that's really important for leadership to measure the things that that facilitate and inspire motivation and the right culture. And that's usually then when the leadership starts to understand their role and culture and they can make bigger moves on behalf of the organization. And so that's why the book is written so that people can get action, people can start acting, and then they can bubble up to their leadership what they need. And then leaders are usually very happy to support that. I've never seen a leader in all of you know, the time that I consulted, which was with hundreds of companies. I've never seen somebody say, I know what you need for your culture because you told me and I'm not going to give it to you. <laughs> they usually say, oh, my gosh, it's an awakening. It's an aha moment. And they become more servant leaders.
2: So it really seems Pivotal helped you pivot towards your values. Sarah.
1: Well, they gave me that tool. They gave me that tool to say not only what is it, but what is it not? And that's a really valuable tool because you'll find assumptions that you had or people around you had um, that didn't come to light until you looked at something through that other lens.
0: Yeah, let's talk about this. that you know, we've obviously done a lot of general culture stuff within an organization within ourselves. Let's talk about this in terms of uh, being a designer or in the UX field, and and how this, is, what are the implications of of that? Um, of these kinds of things when you're a designer, how should one think about it maybe more, maybe
2: a little differently? Oh, and especially <laughs> in a large organization like uh, yeah.
1: enterprise. An enterprise, yeah. Oh. Um, I'm excited to address this <clears throat> and I'm nervous to address it. I don't want to put anyone off, but I am going to say it, design is in a challenging role and has been Always throughout my career, and again, 25 years, small startups, ginormous enterprises, and now what I call kind of the middle ground—30,000 people feels like, you know, smallish to me because of my experience. Design is in such a unique role because it is at the intersection of multiple cultures, and the only way out of that—and I don't know that people need a way out of that, by the way—I think I think it can be an extremely influential role if you know how to. How to work in at that intersection. Um, but if you need to get out of that, then you know helping an organization form a multidiscipline process can be very helpful. Um, but let's just take that off the table because I think it's rare. Um, culture is important for designers in enterprises because I think because they're at that intersection, they cannot expect people to work within their culture. And yet you cannot sacrifice the design culture, the culture for a healthy, productive design organization in order to work with another culture. So you have to have a foot in both worlds. Sounds impossible, perhaps. I think it sounds exciting because as people who understand how other people think and work and then design products for those people as a living, we ought to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, the frustration comes when we want people to meet us halfway because there are colleagues, and they don't because they don't see.
0: <laughs> I wish people could see the reaction of my colleagues.
2: <laughs> what a chord you hit, Sarah! It's a constant struggle. We all know it,
0: right? I know. We're but we're all nodding. I know we're not sharing our video, but like <laughs> we're all like, yes, yes, I get it.
1: <laughs> it's that expectation that because there are colleagues we share something that we don't actually always share we can build it and i think going in eyes wide open with with that awareness that that we have three different disciplines here minimum design product management development Um, and development can have multiple cultures within them influencing Uh, but just to keep it simple those three we're the ones in the middle working with the others. We're, the, we're, we're delivering a thing and development is delivering a thing. Those two things have to come together and be joined. It's a bummer that we have the extra legwork to cross cultures. It's hard. I don't like that fact. But, um, but what I do personally is I consider myself my, as an independent consultant when it comes to understanding their culture. And I ask the questions. I observe how they work. I figure out what they need um, and, and what they value. And then I try and align my values to that. I will address conflict, conflicting values if I need to. And I think that's important to say, listen, I value delivering concepts first. I value user feedback. None of us has the answer. We have to get the answer from the user. We have to get their feedback. That's one of my top three core values. So let's make sure that, we, that we're that we not in conflict there. I mean, being transparent about those things is really helpful. Um and so I think that through that, we can, we can reduce the frustration that might come from the expectation that the people who are theoretically on our same team are acting within our same values because they're not. And I think just the second thing that I would say is that um, if you haven't read any Fred Kaufman. He's he someone to watch. He gave a talk actually at VMware on something that I observed working with many enterprises, which is teams, those different organizations will optimize for their own delivery, meaning they focus on what they value to be efficient. But we all have different jobs, all three of those roles that I mentioned. And those three things, though, have to come together and deliver one thing. So if we're optimizing for our own process, we're pulling against somebody else. We're introducing conflict into some other system. So as much as people can discuss values at the beginning of a process, product, you know, development, you know, life cycle, what's our outcome here? What do we value to get that outcome? Each one of the disciplines can talk about it. You can visually align your post-its. It's in, it's in the book, but you visually align your post-its. And you can see what you all value then you can see what you have it what you value that is different and look for those moments mine for the conflict before it's going to happen you know i'm going to value concepts development's going to value getting high fidelity mock-ups as early as possible those are going to be in conflict with one another what are we going to do and you have the discussion it's not going to take the friction out of the system but it's gonna reduce it significantly. And it might add a lot of empathy and understanding. I've seen that happen too. I've seen people get friction points down to a bare minimum just because they 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 know they're aware, there's an awareness there.
2: Sarah, we just had a had a heart to heart conversation. I'm so glad we spoke. It was wonderful. And and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are also looking forward to reading a book like like I and Laurel and speak for both of us so thank you for being with us today and uh, wish you all the very best with your book dear listeners reflect on your feelings at work find out your values and if you want to know the strategies let's wait until we um, get sarah's book on your table until then peace out